from Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal, and this is a Vine Pair Podcast Conversation. We're bringing you these conversations between our regular podcast episodes in order to give you a better picture of how the COVID-19 crisis is impacting all parts of the alcohol business, as well as to help provide a bit of hope and a path forward for all of us. Today, I'm talking with Cody Morris. He's a distiller at Hardware Distilling in Hoodsport, Washington. Cody, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. I'm stoked to be chatting with you. Excellent. So I wanted to talk with you in part because um, we when, uh, when checking things out on social media and you and I have known each other for a number of years, uh, I noticed um, you at, and the, the folks at Hardware Distilling are, are making a lot of hand sanitizer, which is something that we've we've heard about plenty of in the industry. And, and I was just wondering, like, for, for one, just to start out really simply, like, is it is there anything about producing hand sanitizer uh, that is like different than making the normal range of spirits that you make? No, not really. I mean, in all honesty, it's essentially like making a liqueur. Uh, so you're taking some kind of base spirit uh, and adding things to it. Um, so obviously, it's a lot stronger than a liqueur because most liqueurs, you're proofing it down to below 30 and then uh, back sweetening it. Um, in this case, we're starting with a solution that's at 90%. Uh, and then we add uh, glycerin and uh, some hydrogen peroxide to denature it and uh, distilled water to create a product that at the end is 70% alcohol uh, and has a little bit of viscosity to help kind of spread it on your hands. Uh, but for the most part, from the, um, the actual starting point of taking a fermentation, distilling it a couple times uh, is really no different. And so, like, what are you what are you using as the base? Um, because I imagine that you know it doesn't it probably doesn't matter a whole lot. But like, where have you what have you done to get the sort of the the base fermentation for then distilling? Well, so for our very first batch, we actually since we do a lot of traditional um, scotch, uh, we always have uh, containers and containers of heads and tails. Uh, so the original uh, first small test batch was done just with the heads and tails of our uh, scotch. And some of our brandies uh, did a distillation, removed the heads, uh, and got it at an 80% because we just did it on our pots, our small pot still rather than the column still. But uh, as soon as we made that first batch, uh, the demand, you know, the requests started coming in. So we decided we needed to, to really step it up. Um, so originally we were going to try to do a uh, sugar wash, you know, sugar and water, nutrients, yeast. Um, but we kind of decided that was going to be a little on the slow side and probably add two more weeks of lead time. So instead, I used uh, social media to reach out to other brewers and disti- uh, and cider makers to see if anybody had uh, either product that was sitting that uh, was returned by the distributors for issues um, or if they, you know, like there's a lot of guys who were very draft based. And now that restaurants are closed, there's a lot of beer that's sitting around. Um, so we were really fortunate that uh, David Whitewood from Whitewood Ciders reached out and said he had a bunch of stale oxidized cider that he'd made years ago and was uh, just hoping to like uh, eventually find the time to, to get rid of it because it was taking up space in his warehouse. So we've been doing trips down there and uh, taking his cider and uh, distilling that up to a 90 uh, proof solution through the uh, column still. Cool. And then I, I, you were mentioning kind of before we were talking uh, on air that that part of what made this possible is that uh, the TTB um, or maybe the was it the state liquor board changed some laws? Is it is it both or or who who made that possible? Because I think there didn't there used to be issues with kind of trans like sort of uh, I don't know shifting alcohol from one uh, license to another. Yeah. So the deal is uh, if you transfer a fermented product from 
a fermentation-based license, so that's either a brewery or a winery, uh, to a distillery, you have to do what's called a bond-to-bond transfer, and you have to pay the taxes on that. Uh, and essentially, that's taking uh, a taxable product and then sending it, and then everybody has to pay double tax. Uh, there is like a couple weird little loopholes that uh, distilleries have done where you take unfermented uh, wort from, say, a brewery. So essentially, you're just running it straight from the mash tun uh, into some kind of vessel. That then goes to the distillery. They add yeast uh, because at that time, before it starts fermenting, it's technically an agricultural product. And people can sell agricultural products back and forth without any kind of uh, tax implications. Now, uh, essentially what we, uh, and I'm not 100% certain if it was the TTB who did it or if it was in conjunction with, say, like ADI. uh, But if you uh, take a fermented product to be used as a uh, non-potable or potable product, Uh, beverage. Uh, So let's say you are turning wine into uh, red wine vinegar, or you're distilling it to make hand sanitizer. Um, At that point, you're actually making a product that isn't uh, doesn't have the same tax liability. Um, So at that point, you're, uh, you're good to go. And uh, right now in this sort of uh, crisis phase, it seems like most agencies have really loosened the laws and are, are trying to let people come up with solutions on their own. Gotcha. And was it when you first made your first batch, was it was there any challenge or was it pretty straightforward what like the I guess the formula or recipe for hand sanitizer was? Or did you have like a, a batch that went haywire? No, it's all been very, very easy to do. Um uh, the nice thing is the CDC and the H uh the WHO both have recommended uh recipes uh, they're all in ratios. So, you know, doing the math on that's really not that hard. Uh, the real cluster uh, uh, has been sourcing some of the ingredients. So um, the FDA has a whole list of ingredients that you can add uh, to a spirit to essentially uh, denature it or neutralize it. Uh, that list actually gets pretty scary. There's there's some ingredients that uh, uh, are just straight up poisonous. Um, oh, wow. But uh, yeah, uh, but uh, hydrogen peroxide is one that's allowed, and that's a pretty benign uh, um, uh, ox- oxidative effect. Um, but uh, getting hydrogen peroxide has been really, really difficult. And uh, to kind of give everybody an idea of where we're at, um, when this hand- this call for uh, distillers to produce hand sanitizer, um, the ADA and the Washington Distillers Guild kind of gave um, recommendations for pricing, you know, uh, to just make sure that we're, our price points are approachable and it makes sense for, for hospitals and, and uh, you know, fire departments and et cetera. About a week later, or maybe it was two weeks later, at times so hard to keep track of right now, yeah. uh, there was another email that went out that essentially said, due to the rising costs of uh, aloe, uh, glycerin, hydrogen peroxide, uh, we can't give you a recommended price. Uh, we really strongly urge you to make sure whatever price you do makes sense for your business to stay open. Mm. Um, and that was in a, I, like I said, I believe it was like a two week turnaround from being very, very uh, clear that, you know, we want, we want to make sure whatever we're charging is, uh, has parity with what the big industrial guys can do. Yeah. 
and is that is that a challenge for you guys? I mean, you don't have to go into specifics, but is it is it hard to to find a a, a balance point where you're not you know, you're not losing money on this, but you're also not obviously, you know, kind of gouging the the people who desperately, you know, the 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 facilities and whatnot that and services that need hand sanitizer or or have you guys been able to at least kind of find a, a reasonable balancing point? Well, right now we're doing uh fine on uh the financial side because we've we're in a pretty small community out here. Uh the distillery's been in business for about nine years, so it's it's definitely integrated into the community and we've had a lot of people donate uh, the various ingredients and Mm. we did order a lot of this stuff um, before the dire need became really clear. Um, I'm not so confident that once we're done with the current uh, supplies that we have, that we'd be able to do it uh, in a way that, that would make sense for people um, both for, you know, for people being able to afford it and, uh, yeah, so I, I that's I, that's kind of the scary thing on the horizon. Uh, depending on how long it takes for the big industrial guys to uh, get their their output increased, um, you know, where I see what we're doing is more of a stopgap measure than anything. So, well, and you certainly didn't get into the distilling industry to like make hand sanitizer in the long run, and obviously, you know, happy like you like most are happy to do it um, or or feel a strong um, you know. Uh, responsibility to do it, but it's not obviously what your dream is. And I actually wanted to transition because I know um, what's really interesting to me too is you're you're in the process of opening a brewery, um, which is you've got a long history as a brewer uh, in the Seattle area. And I'm curious, you know, uh, we hear kind of endlessly about businesses closing down um, or or at least sort of limiting production. And you're obviously, you know, if you're looking to open a brewery in the next couple months, you're you're anticipating, you know, going from no production to some amount of production. And 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 first of all. Like kind of, uh, I know you was in the works before the sort of depths of this crisis became clear. But but how, was it hard at all to decide to continue to go forward, or or was it kind of like, hey, we want to do this, we have things in place, it makes sense to keep moving to keep moving towards opening a brewery? Yeah, well, so we we'd already uh, purchased the building uh, before this uh, COVID uh, outbreak happened. Uh, so, you know, like a lot of people, we still are on the hook for, for, uh, you know, mortgage. So we're at the moment still just pushing forward. We just got our, uh, TTB brewers notice yesterday. Um, so all the bureaucracies that do the permitting are still able to work from home. So those things are, are going through, um, you know, we kind of, our goal was to try to have this thing open by June before the, for the tourist season, I'm not super optimistic that we're going to have a traditional uh, tourist season out here. Um, but, you know, our, our footprint and our, you know, fi- our expenses are pretty small. So I think uh, if we do end up getting everything licensed, but we still have a tasting room, I, I'm just going to focus on a lot more long-term fermentations, a lot of mixed fermentation um, a lot, you know, just things that are super shelf stable so I can get them packaged and, uh, try to distribute them to the grocery stores around, ta- uh, around Mason County and just try to get a little bit of revenue. Um, and then, you know, hope for the best that, uh, we kind of get a return to normalcy, uh, I don't know, with, within the year. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, it's interesting too that you mentioned that 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 sort of the the various sort of um, governmental agencies that are responsible for oversight are are still working and still pushing things through it, and that's even been your experience with with the federal government, right? With TTB, 
Yeah, I actually had a really uh, – so two days ago, um, I had a phone interview with the uh, TTB over just doing some quick corrections on our application. And uh, the guy was telling me that right now their major priority is industrial alcohol production. So they've actually set it up so anybody who's applying for an industrial alcohol uh, application, so that's essentially what we'd use for hand sanitizers, um, they're immediately going to the top of the list and they have a uh, order from the top to prioritize how quickly they are going through these permits. So uh, there certainly does seem to be an awareness that um, the supply chain for industrial uh, alcohol is is sorely lacking and people are addressing that. Excellent. Well, Cody, thank you so much for your time. Um, good luck with the various projects. And uh, we look, I, look, I personally look forward to trying the beer uh, when you uh, when you get the, the brewery up and running. And uh, we, look, like I said, look forward to checking in uh, once we hopefully get past this crisis. Yeah, me too. I, I uh, think those first couple of weeks when this thing's all over are going to be uh, pretty amazing. <laughs> I sure hope so. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and hosted by Zach Jabal, Erica Ducey, and me, Adam Teeter. Our engineer is Nick Patry and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my Vine Pair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vine Pair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week.